The world is in a climate crisis and all industries must do their part to reach zero emissions. Maritime trade is critical to today's society, but is also responsible for 2.8% of all greenhouse gases. A future where global trade reaches zero is possible, but how do we actually get there? I'm Laura Jacobson, Zero North's Chief Purpose Activist and an expert in sustainable shipping. In Navigating Zero, I'm sitting down with thought leaders to explore the inner workings of global trade, its massive impact on our society, and the obstacles it faces in navigating its way to zero. A view that takes the needs of future generations into account is critical if we are to change the world for the better. But how can legislation and policy be used to put a sustainable future first? My guest today is Sophie Howe, former Future Generations Commissioner for the Welsh Government. She held this position from 2016 to early 2023. In this unique role, she challenged policy and lawmakers to think differently about a wide array of issues, including poverty, health, and the environment. Sophie and the Welsh government did something remarkable by putting future generations' needs as part of their strategy. By doing this, the measures they put into place made them accountable to unusually long-term goals. I'm curious to delve into how an extremely long-term view can influence how we change our perspective, create policies, and make decisions. Something that stuck with me from the talk that I listened to you at the Global Maritime Forum's annual summit in Athens. And that's why I wanted to have you on the show today, because I feel like, you know, we talk about decarbonization, we talk about the climate, but we don't talk so much about the unborn generations. And you have this statistic that the world is unstable for 6.75 trillion people. Can we talk a little bit about the humans, the future generations, and how that's sort of leading the decisions that should be thought about and made. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, if we look 50,000 years to the past, there have been about 100 billion people who have been alive on planet Earth and are now are now dead. There's about 8 billion of us on planet Earth at the moment. And if we look 50,000 years to the future, based on current population trends, there's about 6.75 trillion people who are yet to be born. And we're at this critical moment. You know, if you listen to what uh, global climate scientists tell us, the IPCC, for example, we, you know, it is code red for humanity. So what those of us amongst those 8 billion on planet Earth at the moment, and, you know, actually, in real terms, we're really talking about a tiny number of that 8 billion who hold the power, the wealth, who are taking decisions. That tiny number are basically setting the future, what type of future those 6.75 trillion people will have. And if we're talking about Code Red for humanity, there's every chance that if we don't start acting with their interests in mind, that they won't have a future or it will be quite a dystopian future. And I think that there's some really interesting things about Indigenous wisdom. And I've been spending quite a lot of time with Indigenous communities over the last number of of years. If you think about 
the Iroquis who have this seventh generation thinking in their tribe. They think, how will this decision play out in seven generations from now? If we look at the Maoris, for example, they're very much based around a connection between humans and the land they live on and, and well-being and looking after the generations to come behind. And I think there's a lot that Western societies could learn from these indigenous cultures that we haven't taken on board at all. And essentially what we've been doing is, you know, raping and pillaging, quite honestly, our planet with no concern for the next generation and generations yet to be born whatsoever. And that cannot possibly be morally right. And if you're a politician and, you know, often politicians talk about their legacy, gosh, is that your legacy? That's pretty grim. Thinking about leadership and legacy differently may help us plan for the longer term. Something that really stuck with me about my conversation with Lord John Brown in a previous episode was how difficult it can be to mobilize key stakeholders to break the cycle of short-term thinking, even if you're in a position of power. What makes his story more remarkable is that he managed to usher through a change of thinking in a time when no one else was really discussing climate change in a meaningful way. One of the first real tests of the Future Generations Act was blocking the M4 motorway extension. This was set to be a major building project in Wales. But before this extension was blocked, many people were skeptical that the act would actually achieve anything. I think there were some of the skeptics at the time who were saying, oh, well, it's all, you know, motherhood and apple pie. What's not to like about it? And it's not really going to achieve anything. So there was still a fair amount of scepticism about whether this legislation would actually make any impact. So the first big test was the government had plans to spend the entire of their borrowing capacity building a 13-mile stretch of motorway to deal with the problem of congestion on one of our major motorways, the M4, around one of our cities called Newport. And to many of your listeners, this will be a common problem. You know, we problems with congestion all over the world. Generally, the answer to congestion is to build another road or to build a bigger road. It's, you know, not taking that long-term view, if you like. And so I intervened in that decision and I asked the government to basically show me how they'd applied the Future Generations Act to that policy choice. And please explain to me how it's in line with the goal of a prosperous Wales, which talks about a productive, innovative, low carbon society, one which uses resources efficiently and proportionally and acts on climate change, because I can't see how building a road is going to reduce our carbon emissions, only increase them. Can you tell me how it's in line with the goal of a resilient Wales, which is about enhancing, maintaining, restoring nature and ecosystems, because the road was going to go through a nature reserve? Can you tell me how it's in line with the goal of a more equal Wales, because 25% of the lowest income families in this region don't own a car. So are you saying that the best public policy choice that you can come up with to spend the entire of your borrowing capacity is something that doesn't benefit those who were worst off in our society? And to cut a long story short, the government really struggled to justify that. They changed their minds. They cancelled the road building project. They set up a commission with terms of reference based around the Future Generations Act and delivery of the seven wellbeing goals. And the proposals instead is to spend that money investing in better public transport, active travel, new uh, bus lanes and routes and so on. And it didn't stop there because I then intervened in all of the decisions that the government had 
on their books around road building. And then we looked at 55 pre-approved road building schemes to apply that same test. And of those 55, 51 of those road building schemes have been cancelled as a result of applying the test of well-being and long-term thinking. What Sophie and the Future Generations Act have managed to achieve so far has been remarkable. Other wins for Wales have included modernizing national school curriculums, the development of a 10-year strategy for healthcare, and more money being funneled into public transportation. All of these initiatives are a really positive step in the right direction. Time and time again, short-term thinking becomes the default. What is it about our psychology that prevents us from having a long-term view? Yes, I mean, there are some interesting studies about that. Um, There was one study in particular that looked at asking people to consider themselves in the future. They then asked the same people to consider a total stranger and a stranger in the future. And they hooked them up to one of those uh, brain tracking devices to look at uh, what the brain waves were doing when they were asked to think about those different scenarios. And what was really interesting about that is that the patterns when people were asked to think about their future selves were the same as the patterns of when they were asked to think about a complete stranger. So there's almost something in the neuroscience which almost hardwires our brain to ignore the future, even when it's particular to us. So we almost other the future in the same ways that perhaps sometimes we other um, other people. They're not like me. They're different to me. I don't need to be as concerned about them as people like me. Now, I'm not saying that that is at all right. And I think that that's a fundamental problem in this planet, but that's probably a whole other podcast. (laughs) But for the purpose of the future, we do seem to other the future. I think if we think about a leadership, uh, from a leadership perspective, I think we're all operating in what is described as a VUCA world. And some of your listeners might have um, heard that term. So VUCA stands for volatile, uncertain, complex and ambiguous. And my goodness, I think we are definitely operating in that world. It's certainly volatile from where I'm sitting. I don't think that we fully embrace and understand the complexity of things, which is why you often get these linear public policy solutions. And definitely there's a lot of ambiguity about things. So if that's the reality of the world that we're operating in, what are the sorts of skills that we need our leaders to be developing? So I'm going to give you another VUCA around leadership skills. So if things are volatile, we actually need to have a vision. Now, that sounds like, well, yeah, of course we need to have a vision. But actually, most countries in the world do not have a long-term vision of where they want to go. They range between one electoral cycle to the next. Well, that's not a long-term vision at all. We need to have that long-term vision. So when things become volatile, we've still got that North Star of where is it that we're going? What are we trying to get back to? So that's the first one. So leaders need to have a long-term vision. If we think about the you, so uncertain. So if things are uncertain, we need to do the best we possibly can to understand. And that understanding is about understanding different perspectives. It's about understanding the potential long-term trends and scenarios. It's about understanding the lived experiences of people in the here and now and what that might look like in the future. So we need to go out of our way to understand better. And that means getting out of our silos. It means engaging, connecting, and so on. 
So if things are complex, the C, then we need to connect. We need to have the ability to join the dots between different things. So I would say if you've spent your entire life in one sector, you should go out of your way to engage with another sector that might have relevance in terms of you know connections to what you're actually trying to achieve. So the climate scientists should be speaking to the public health officials. The economists should be talking in communities about what is it that's going to transform those communities. Climate and nature are all two parts of the same coin, if you like. So we need to be making those connections. And then finally, ambiguous. Things change all the time. And that means our leaders need to be agile. We cannot just sort of say, this is, you know, how we've always done things. um, And this is how we will continue to do things. Agility and ability to embrace change and respond to that is an absolute key leadership skill now and will increasingly be so in the future. So I think if we do, you know, the VUCA of the world that we're living in and then the VUCA of the leadership type and style that we need, then maybe there's something there around us moving in the right direction. I've heard Sophie say before that if people aren't laughing at your ideas, they're not bold enough. I think that says a lot about who Sophie is and makes a wider point about what it takes to lead boldly. When Wales started to put the Future Generations framework in place, many key stakeholders were doubtful, but they supported the initiative because they wanted to do things differently. However, when it came down to turning ideas into actions and policies, there was pushback. Eventually, though, it was widely accepted that these changes were necessary. I've asked Sophie to dig a little bit deeper into the Future Generations Act, which she mentioned at the start of our conversation. So Wales has got quite a long history with sustainable development. The Welsh government is a relatively young government. The parliament and the the government in Wales were only established in 1999. And in the law that established that new governance infrastructure, there was a clause in there which said sustainable development should be a central organising principle of the government, which is great. And I couldn't agree more. The problem is, is that, um, you know, and anyone listening who's been involved in public policy or working in government will probably recognise that that was a lofty ambition, which actually meant pretty much nothing. So the environment minister would report to the Senate, the parliament once a year on stuff that the government had done on sustainable development. Could they say that it was a central organising principle? Absolutely not. So there was one particular minister, Jane Davidson, and she was frustrated by this. She felt that we should be living up to that expectation that was set out in law. And she managed to convince then First Minister that in order to do that, we needed to put more meat on the bones of what does that actually mean. And she managed to convince him to make a manifesto commitment, an election pledge, which simply said, we will legislate for sustainable development. So they held a national dialogue called The Wales We Want, where they posed the question to the citizens of Wales, what is the Wales you want to leave behind to your children, your grandchildren and future generations to come? And so co-produced and co-created with citizens of Wales. We have these seven long-term wellbeing goals set out in our law and all of our institutions, including the government, must take steps to meet those um, long-term goals alongside a range of other things. 
this podcast is really about discovering what is being done and how can we take action and what can we do. So if you can go a little bit into what that actually means for the sustainable development principles, you have five ways of working, then people can understand what it is that they need to do in their communities and encourage their politicians to do and have this new way of thinking. In the Future Generations Act in Wales, we've got these seven long-term wellbeing goals, and then we have what's called the Sustainable Development Principle, or it's become known as the five ways of working. So these are the five ways in which our public institutions, our politicians and policymakers, how they must act to do good long-term policy. So first off, the long-term. Understand as best you can the long-term implications of the things that you're going to do. Often, that's not actually that difficult. Um, It's just you can quite easily play out, you know, if we build a road, we're going to be increasing carbon emissions by this much, and long-term, that's a problem. The second principle is prevention. Preventing problems from occurring or getting worse. So there's that old adage, prevention is better than cure. Absolutely, but we very rarely do it. The third point is integration. So this is basically recognising that everything is connected to everything. If we have an aim to take people out of poverty and to deliver prosperity for our nation, we have to do that through considering planetary boundaries because there are no jobs and there is no economy on a dead planet. The fourth way of working is collaboration. So we can only do that if we all work together. We need to get out of our silos, our organisational silos, our departmental silos. Sometimes we need to be quite brave and generous in saying, well, do you know what? I'm holding the budget for dealing with this issue, but actually it would be much better if I gave this organisation the budget to do that because they're able to intervene earlier to have a better effect. And then the final principle is involvement. So involving people in how do we do this? And again, governments are generally not very good in involving citizens. They tend to consult citizens when they've got a particular question to ask, but very rarely do they ask citizens to co-produce ideas and policies and redesign services with them. And when you do that with citizens, you get a much better set of solutions because they're citizen-centric and they're far more likely to work with people in the long term. My last question is around what does success look like in terms of planning for the future generations? And, you know, what is your hope for the future? Well, I often get asked this question. And I think the best way to answer it in some ways is to tell you about my little girl. She's nine. What would I like to be seeing through her eyes when she's my age? I'm 46. So I'd like her to be walking her little girl or her little boy to school in fresh air. I'd like them to be safe to walk to school with roads that are clear of traffic. I'd like her to be talking to her neighbours and interacting with the community on that walk or cycle or scoot or roller skates or it might be hoverblades or something, um, hoverboards or something along the lines of that by then. I'd like her to be able to work flexibly and not be subjected to a gender pay gap. 
I'd like her to work fewer hours than we all work at the moment because society has readdressed what we actually value. Um, in those fewer hours that she works, I'd like her to be spending some time maybe looking after me in my old age or maybe helping out in a community hub or um, a circular economy library, a library of things where communities are coming together to borrow the things they need, perhaps rather than owning them um, themselves. And I'd like her to be operating or living in a world where the country and the um, multilateral institutions who um, are an important part of our global governance infrastructure are continually checking what does this mean for her kids, my grandkids, great-grandkids, and so on. So I think for me, that is the world that I want to leave behind to my children, my grandchildren, and future generations to come. In terms, I suppose, of the more immediate steps, how do we get there? I genuinely believe that we need a massive reform of our governance infrastructure, and every country in the world needs a legal requirement to require their politicians to think to the long term and someone independent like the role that I did to hold them to account on doing that. I think that we all, to some extent, share Sophie's dream for the future. Maybe we need to be looking at the idea of legacy in a different way and start using our power to create a better world for our children and our children's grandchildren. Some of the things I learned from my conversation with Sophie today are that it's possible to make change with the help of policy. The Future Generations Act has proven that. Their blocking of the M4 extension in particular spotlights how material change can come from legislation. I also loved her quote about, if people aren't laughing at your ideas, then they might not be radical enough to create meaningful change. And lastly, what it means to leave a legacy has changed. It's no longer about what we did. It's about how we impact the planet. Thank you so much to Sophie Howe for joining me today. And thank you for listening to Navigating Zero, Global Trade's powerful wave of change. If this conversation has inspired you, then please follow us on your podcast app of choice for more fascinating discussions on how we reach zero. You can also subscribe to our newsletter. You'll find a link in the show notes. Bye for now.